0: This lady is named Dumavati, and that literally means the beholder of smoke. Now, that actually means in, in more simple terms, she sees only smoke, right? If you behold a mountain, then you're not thinking, oh, what a beautiful little flower is there, yeah? No, no. When you behold the mountain, you only see the mountain. So, when when you are the beholder of smoke, then only smoke is there. And so, smoke means in this way, like uh, ignorance, um, lack of clarity. You You don't see clear, you don't know what to do. You see no uh, alternative to whatever is there or, you know, you're a little bit stuck in thinking about how you can deal with things. So, but this is also, at the same time, a great opportunity which Dumavati represents, No, So, Dumavati looks like an old lady, a grandmother, and uh, in that way she is often called Alakshmi, meaning the opposite of Lakshmi, Lakshmi which is always very beautiful and uh, wealthy, you know, throwing coins around, So, Dumavati is the opposite, she is ugly, she is old, she is poor. So, uh, she is like also often named to be the widow, the Shakti without Shiva, the Purushunya, which means the energy without consciousness or Shakti without Shiva. So, we see her there um, on her chariot, and I must say, I was trying to find out the symbolism of the Chariot, but I couldn't really find any reference in the material that Hari Shahari left. So, I was thinking about it myself, why would she be always shown on a Chariot? And uh, I also thought, okay, what other Gods and Goddesses are shown on a Chariot? And there we of course have the Sun, which is always shown on the Chariot. With seven horses, which are the seven colors of the rainbow. So, in there, the meaning quite clearly is that the sun is always moving, right? It's coming and going. No, we have day and we have night. So, okay, this is my own interpretation. Now, <laughs> I think the chariot also means that this smokiness, no, this darkness, this void that Dumavati represents in our lives. It comes, but it also goes, you know? uh, So, that's maybe the main thing to know at that time, that maybe at that time you don't see clear, but at some point clarity again it will come, you know. And you will know what to do when you will be able to move uh, forward and uh, not forgetting that she is showing with her right hand the sign of Peace, you know, the Peace-giving Mudra, which means, you know, okay, this smokiness, this ignorance is also in itself quite an opportunity for peace, because if you are unable to see what to do, then what use it is to think? And then, you know, when you stop thinking, you get peace, and... uh maybe also uh do the things that then anyhow, always, somehow need to be done, and that is uh the symbolism of this tool that she is holding in her other hand, which is called a shurp, which is like used for cleaning grains, like you know, grains, lentils, maybe always there is a little bit of dirt inside, some stone maybe instead there, of the lentil and you might break your teeth on it. So, in India, very typical that people then, they have to clean the grains and the lentils and the pulses. And this is typically an old lady's job, you can say, you no. Know? But this is anyhow just one of those things that need to be done. So, when you don't know really what to do, then anyhow those things are there. You know? And you also see on top of the chariot, a flag with the black crow, which points to, yeah, magic, dark magic, you can say. I'll explain a little bit more about that. Dark forces in play. And so, she can also help you uh, with, with those things. If you look on the other side, <laughs> we see the Yantra, made by Peter Weltovreda and there we see these typical situations that are associated with Dumavati. We see an old crooked lady. We see a man in, in jail. We see maybe some lady who's looking rather crazy. You know, these, these things are what Dumavati is about. But we also see a yogi, because this really does offer opportunity for meditation. I'll explain more about that. And we also see quite a few crows. Which are the typical symbolism of uh, of Dumavati? Often in temples you will not see Dumavati, but at least you will see a crow somewhere, or an image of a crow, or a, a statue of a crow, showing that she is also there, and she is part of yoga. She is part of uh, of the job, let's say. So when I say uh, we have to then see this as an opportunity for yoga. That comes in a number uh, of ways. And uh, we often say that, you know, suffering, because this is a little bit of suffering, now which is here, is needed for growth. And some people, of course, they will not really like that so much when I say that. I'm not the only one seeing it, (laughs) because it's just true. Um, But of course, it does not mean that we have to inflict suffering on others just to make them grow. That's a totally different thing. Only when we have to deal with suffering in our lives, or maybe also when we look at the lives of others, we can understand it. And the main reason is that, we can be very stubborn in our attachments. Now, even we people here have been thinking a lot about the subject and talking maybe about the subject and trying to work on this subject. We have to accept that. We are still quite stubborn in our attachments. So, then sometimes this has to be broken. You know? And this works karmically, huh? Eh? It comes when, when it is the time, I would say. But so, sometimes some attachment, it has to be broken. To grow, it seems like, you know, it means we always grow bigger. No? Normally, when you grow, you, you grow bigger. But actually, when we say grows, it means you grow smaller. Huh? <laughs> you lose things, no? And okay, in that way, you also grow in the sense that you become bigger or, or you know, more aligned with cosmic consciousness, which of course, in a way, is really you know huge. But um, it's still a matter of losing things, you know, of detaching from things, of a different kind of identification, you know, which, uh, which is what attachment really, really is. You know? So that is what uh, Dumavati is about and uh, I think in the picture we just saw she still looks relatively nice you may find some pictures where she looks really like a, I would say a bad old lady very troublesome like restless uh, chaotic even depressed somewhat demented maybe no so you know that's that's how it comes but still, she is holding the hand like this. You know? She is showing that face of nature. You can say, you no, know? the goddess is is nature. So nature has many faces, and there is that one face which is not so nice to look at. And she is showing that she is saying, anyhow, hey, please keep the peace, you no, know? because this will come and this will go, and something good also will come from it. You no, know? so that is that's the main thing, and. I must say, when I was a little bit thinking about this class today, very much my grandmother came to mind, who was a very, very nice lady. She became 101 years old, always very courageous, always very simple and nice. And she was really the kind of grandmother where you could go with your troubles, you know, and find peace there. And the particular way in which she was doing it is is very much like it is meant to be with Dumavati. Because, you know, she was really old, so whatever problem you came with, she was not trying to solve it. Most people, when you go to them and you tell about your troubles, then they'll try to find some solutions for you. But she was not trying to do that. She was just giving you a cup of tea and, uh, you know, some some kindness... She'd give you a hug, maybe. Um, And what she mostly brought was acceptance. Acceptance of this moment, acceptance of this problem. And then she would say, like, well, I guess many grandmothers, maybe they say, oh, everything is going to be all right. And and that comes from the wisdom of old age. In old age, then you know everything always changes. So, whatever problem comes, it will go. So, in that way, everything, anyhow, is going to be all right, whatever you are facing right now. You know? So, that is a beautiful way to work with, uh, with your problems, you know? to accept that you don't know. I mean, of course, in some ways, uh, some problems, they will come and you will know what to do or at least feel that you can think some ways to escape from this problem, then that is the natural thing to do. Now, I'm not saying you should just like accept all your problems and not try to solve any of them. No, But in some ways, you know, we come in life upon problems that are hard to solve, where at least for a time we don't know how to deal with it. No, And these are typical then, uh, the, the problems that come in old age, when a lot of things that we are attached to no longer work like they used to, we can no longer do what we like to do. Maybe we were very much into climbing mountains, and then at some point we have to say, okay, now I just look at them, no, <laughs> uh, no more climbing for me. Or, you know, whatever, um, some ailments come also at, at any age, of course, um, which are, are keeping us, let's say, grounded for, for a longer period of time. Some limitations come, some lockdown comes, some you know thing comes and and we don't know what to do. No. So the beauty there is that when we really are somewhat overwhelmed by this not knowing, by this ignorance, where we feel where we are in that smoke, that we can say, Okay, I don't know. I accept that I don't know. So then, what's the use to think about it? And so thats that's the big difference, right? Most people, when they see the chariot of Dumavati coming you know on the horizon, and coming more nearby, they start thinking a lot. You know, how to escape, And natural, you know, totally natural <laughs> should be done. But if we feel we don't have the answer, which is usually with Dumavati the case. And the thinking goes even more and we go into all kinds of crazy things and the emotions start being coming very negative and you know we are in despair, we are in darkness. And we are very afraid of this Dumavati and very much resisting that. So that is where our ego, no, becomes very attached to this poor me ego. So this is the one option we have when we are faced with like a problem which we cannot so easily solve, is to go into the poor me ego. Anyhow, try to escape even though we know we can't, and uh, to feel very sorry for ourselves and you know that. And okay, may lead to lots of things which are usually not very helpful or maybe rather making things worse. Or we can see Dumavati coming on the horizon, and see her as the goddess, and see her peace-giving hand, and say, "Okay, I don't know. So what's the use thinking?" And then to stop all this thinking, and to go into silence, and and into peace, no. So there, from accepting this ignorance, from accepting this problem, but also the ignorance, you know, about solving it, we come to the void, you know, the emptiness, the darkness, which, for example, in Buddhism, is seen as something very, very important. Also, they talk a lot about it, and then from this darkness to to silence, you no, know? and. The funny thing is that when we do that, then automatically the bad feeling goes. And and I'll just explain that with something which happened to me today. Today, the Belgian government decided that because the numbers are very much up in COVID, you know, that we get a new kind of restrictions and so one of the things it means is that I'm no longer allowed again to do my healings here in my home. No non-medical contact professions are allowed. And uh, so, yeah, this is a little bit like tough, no? And for a moment I didn't know what to do. No, because, okay, yeah, I was I was doing quite well and fully booked actually for the next two weeks at least. Um, so now all that kind of disappears, and then how to you know survive, okay, it didn't seem very clear no, I'm not saying there I couldn't see some possibilities for sure there are, and don't worry, I'll survive, but I thought since I was a little bit in preparation of this class let's let's do it right, no so I totally you know before going into any thinking about what to do. Hmm? I said, no, no, let's forget about that for the moment. I can always do that later. And it's pretty obvious in a way what can be done and what cannot be done. Huh? Let's just, you know, go outside in the garden and uh, get my first tan of the year, you know. I hadn't been able to do that somehow. And uh, the weather was quite nice, not very hot, hot or anything. still a little bit of cold wind but good enough to lie down in the grass and, you know, I installed myself really well and lie down and let the sun shine on me and feel the wind blowing, you know. And totally, like, give, gave in to that ignorance, gave in to that not knowing, gave in to not having any solution or not seeing, you know, at that moment really how I could do it, but totally accepting that. And there, yes, that silence that then came, and okay, which I'm relatively good to, to produce also, but that's beside the point, that silence which then came, you no, know, then it becomes like something neutral, like it is neither feeling very good or very bad. Hmm? It's uh, an ignorance, a darkness, yes, but you accept it, so there is silence then very rapidly, actually, this comes into positive feeling. This bliss of silence, it comes. The moment you again start thinking, again, the negative feeling comes. Or then maybe you think something, oh, I can do this. And a little bit of positive thinking comes and feeling comes. But then other things come and again negative comes. So that is Duma to just forget about all of it. You know? Just get out of it and be silent. And the other smile it comes. So for about two hours I was out in the sun. I don't know if you guys can see I got a tan or not. but It was really very enjoyable. I think it was one of the most enjoyable few hours I've had since I came to live here a few months back. Two months back, or what was it? So, uh, totally relaxed, totally giving in to Mother Earth, you know, like I was lying on Mother Earth and totally accepting whatever would come and totally, you yeah. know, trusting also, you know, without thinking about it, no, just letting myself go into that feeling. And, um, oh, then after that, I came back inside, made a cup of chai, and uh, okay, then I wrote down a few things which actually came then quite naturally from this good feeling and this peaceful feeling, which could be done, you know, to let's say, better promote my long distance healing, because people have a hard time to kind of believe in these things, and uh, I was thinking about what to do after the Mahavidyas are done, then, you know, maybe do something else, and no, but that's really not what this is about, right? It's about this power of accepting the not knowing, of accepting that, you know, you don't know the solution. And I can point to Eckhart Tolle also in his book, The Power of Now, is very clear. No? He describes it very clearly how he came to that power of just being in the now, which means not to think, because all thoughts are about the past or the future, because of his big depression. And he saw no solution, and he was lying on his bed, and suddenly that silence came, and that feeling of being in the now came. But okay, he didn't write a book, The Power of Depression, could have done that too, you know, but I don't think it would have been very successful. Maybe, who knows. But uh, anyhow, so that power you get with with, uh, Dumavati, and uh, okay, it has many aspects, you know, it's about seeing that misfortune is also a good fortune, in a way, you know, like, it it can teach you things, you can grow from it. You might be very thankful for it later, in a way. Um, It's like uh, one famous American Indian movie, I don't remember the name, where an old man is saying, quite like, before he's going to die, um, to... God, the great spirits, or whatever. Thank you for giving me eyes so that I could see and enjoy in all the beautiful earth. And thank you also for then taking away away my eyes. He was blind. So that I could see even further. So this is uh, this thankfulness that we can also feel later. Maybe not at the time itself, but later after having faced some some problems, understanding that this void, you know, this emptiness of thought is full of being, you know, and and really they are discovering the self in whichever way. Yeah. I mean, some call it the power of now, some call it the power of, of silence, some call it the power of being. Uh, you know, it's a power, for sure. It brings a power, it brings a bliss, it brings a peace, it brings you, you know, a lot of strength and and the ability to to deal with life, uh, to be able to, you know, accept the void. Many people, they are actually afraid of this void. They are afraid to stop thinking. I was wondering about it with some of, one of my students who really had like a hard time to stop thinking, even though I was trying to teach her. And I realized it was not just the like thinking that she could not do it, which was also part of the problem. If you think you cannot stop thinking, then yeah, for sure you cannot. Because all the time you try, you think you cannot. So yeah, you're thinking. (laughs) It was not just that, there was also real fear involved to let go of this control. And that is the fear that Dumavati addresses the fear of the void, the fear of emptiness, the fear of nothingness. So that is what we overcome here. And that very much also relate to the meditation practice. And That is also why in the picture of the Yantra, we saw a yogi sitting there. Because that is the main fear that is keeping people out of Samadhi. The fear of letting go the fear of losing control, the fear of stopping these thoughts and accepting nothingness, accepting emptiness, accepting ignorance. We so much like to be in charge, we so much like to think we got it all, you know, like figured out, And, okay, some of that is needed also, how else can we live, no? But at the same time, we can also embrace this ignorance, embrace this smallness, and from there, gain a lot of power, and a lot of strength, and a lot of peace. Because then, whatever problem comes, whatever thing seems difficult to solve, it will not make us afraid. It will not make our mind run out of control. So every one of these problems, at least we can say, is an opportunity to strengthen that power inside of you. If it's a real problem, then better before trying to find any solutions, first do that. First find that void, find that emptiness, accept whatever is there and accept your ignorance. Stop thinking and then, okay, from there you can move forward and from there even the best ideas will come. All ideas that come from this very hectic, terrified mind, are not very useful. No? So in Samadhi, we have to pass through different smoke screens. It's not just one actually. There is one, yes, when you enter, a moment of vagueness. But even inside Samadhi, in deeper meditation, many different layers are there, where you are more and more withdrawing your attention and your energy, your prana, towards the center, and where there are periods of clarity, but also periods of obscurity, of void, of emptiness, of smoke. Like rear smoke, I've seen that. (laughs) So, there always remember your vehicle, your train, your car, your rocket, whatever you call it, your mantra or some other item. Always to, there go back. Whenever this smoky feeling comes, always just focus back there and that will bring you to the other side of the smoke and clarity, again, will come, and more deeper insight. So, of course, this is not the only way to deal with those kinds of problems that are related to Dumavati. And I think, apart from, let's say, financial problems, health problems, these kind of things, what we maybe fear the most is permanent unhappiness. (laughs) In another world, hell. Hmm? That is what we fear the most. And some people are stuck there. Some people are stuck in some unhappiness, some particular flavor or a whole dish with different flavors of unhappiness, switching from one to the other. And so that is very much making us afraid. And so we fear that, so I wanted to go a little bit into that, how to deal with those more persistent unpleasant emotions, and I have talked about it already just when I came back to Belgium in the first satsang, when I explained about the dark night of the soul, where we start digging into these subconscious issues, and where the main message was that if you want to do that, first you have to feed your light. This is the main thing. Do not let these things overwhelm you like that, which is what usually happens. When you see that they are there and somehow you have to deal with them, first feed your light, first do those things that bring you really to the center, so that you can see As long as you are totally distracted, your mind going anywhere it wants, then you cannot see properly. And that is really what here needs to be done when we are dealing with these deeper unpleasant emotions. It is truly to see them, and preferably from silence, preferably from the center, preferably from the Self. And of course, in that game, We are not into suppression of those emotions. I mean if a small unpleasant emotion comes then sure, I suggest you suppress it, yeah. (laughs) Meaning you turn your attention away from it and you go somewhere else. And okay, if then it doesn't come back then it was just a little feeling. Why stick to it? Why get into it? Why take it so seriously? No. It's like when you burn your hands on nettles. It stings for a while, but after a while, you know, it goes, no? So, nothing more needs to be done about that. You're not a child who then needs some ointment or, you know, some special thing to be done, you no? Know? But those things which come back, those things which you seem, you know, unable to avoid, The idea there is not to suppress it and let it be clear that in society that is what most people are doing. They refuse to think about it and so they totally try to run away from it by distracting the mind on Facebook, in TV, uh, having a drink, drugs, whatever, you know, they can do. They run away from it and that is what suppression really is. Actually, I have explained it many times, but it is a very important thing. The only thing you can actually suppress into the subconscious mind is memory. Some traumatic experience as a child, the child may not be able to deal with it and may forget it, literally push it in the subconscious. Because he can't deal with it, it has to forget it. It's like a self-defense. But the emotion will still be there. The fear will still be there or the anger will still be there. And it will show in the life of the child, and then later some therapist will be needed to dig it out, that memory. But that's not what we're talking about here. People are suppressing their emotions in the sense that they are not facing them. But they are still there. They're still affecting them. The moment the TV program is finished, boom, they are back. So that is the wrong thing to do, because, as I said, it doesn't work, and second, it has so many side effects, on the body especially. Some of it will anyhow linger in the subconscious, that anger your reptile brain, it will always remember, but some of it will also damage your body. Many of the illnesses that people face They are related to that. And so, that's not what we really want to do. So, then there comes a point where we have to work with it. As I said, if if you can ignore it and it doesn't come back, no problem. But if it keeps bothering you, then you have to face it. And so, then you have to see, first of all, what attachment is involved. Because that is the root cause, always. <clears throat> Every unpleasant emotion is related to attachment. In anger, we feel that some attachment is disrespected by others. You feel attached to this or that, and somebody else is like behaving like it's not important. Now for you, it's important, so you protect it. You know? So then your anger comes, and that is disrespected. And in fear, <coughs> quite simply, some attachment is um, threatened. No, you like uh, the idea of having a nice walk uh, in the sun, and it starts to rain. Oh, will there be sun in the afternoon? Some fear comes. Mm? Very simple thing, actually. No. Then in depression, then you feel that you have neglected your attachment something to you is important and you have neglected it and that way you are losing it or have lost it or or threaten, threatened to lose it or you have not been able to properly defend it towards others. So, that's when depression comes. And then sadness comes when already some attachment is gone. We had to let go, somehow or other. We lost it. So, always to see that is the first thing. Because that is the real issue. Your attachment. Always knowing that, well, you are totally free to attach. That's, you know, part of this game. I've said many times there's not much of a difference between the word love and the word attachment. So, yeah. But you can also let go when that is in the nature of things. And so then, many of these problems already, you will take out the root of it. But so, maybe more needs to be done, because we are complex creatures, especially with our subconscious. And so then, the second rule is expression somehow this emotion that is bothering you, it is bothering you because it seeks to be expressed. Maybe nothing more than that. It's quite funny how that works. As long as we suppress it, it cannot be expressed. So, maybe we need to express it and that can take many forms in art. We can write about it. Maybe we need to talk about it to somebody, you know, who is involved in it. You know, some expression has to be there. Um, And I would say when you do that, remember not just to express your feeling, because that is only a part of it. Try to make the picture more complete. Try to express also what attachment is involved, because then it becomes a love story. Attachment is love. Right, And ex- express maybe also what this emotion is causing inside of you. And I'm not just saying in terms of feeling, but also in terms of what kind of behavior it creates. What kind of, let's say, neural patterns are associated with it. Mm-hmm. So you can write a book about it. And whether you know you publish this book or whether you just write it for yourself, that is totally irrelevant. Sometimes it may feel better if you can somehow communicate to others, you no? Know? At least have one person read it. That may be possible. But sometimes not even that is needed. Just to let it come out in some form takes away so much of the power of it then you can accept, it has been said. That's the least like you feel you have to do, (laughs) to express it. So, and then, maybe some of these things, like in Belgium, we call them old cows. What, what means like they are, they are old problems, maybe they come really from, very much in the past, and they've been bothering us for a long time. Maybe they come from childhood, or maybe they come from some other relationship you had, or or something, but they, they got stuck inside of you, and they are affecting you. So, there it is a little more difficult, maybe. They're definitely first to feed your Light, and do whatever you can to bring you in a very positive and clear Calm mood is needed so that you can really contemplate on this issue when you feel ready for it. Not when it starts, you know, being very tough. That may be not the time. But first you create the calmness, no? Anyhow. And then you can contemplate on it. Remember what happened in as far as, you know, you can remember it and maybe also imagine what happened in the sense that, okay, from what you remember, you know your story, you know what you have done, what you have said, what you have seen, but you don't know so much about what other people have done or why they would have done these things or why they would have said some things to you. Which hurt or, um, or somehow or other, you know, caused the pain. So, then imagine no? what happened, so that you can really accept it. You know? Always, when such an unpleasant emotion keeps staying there, it is because we we resist it. That's why we need to also express it. We want to express it because we resist it. We are feeling this need out of this resistance. But so analyzing it, contemplating about it, may be the way then to see really what happened and and, uh, accept it. And then for the four main unpleasant rasas, I try to now simplify it in a way that it becomes very clear what this contemplation should lead to. When it comes to anger, when it is an old anger cow, Mm. then what needs to happen is that we contemplate on the innocence of everybody. We contemplate on why people do wrong things and that they do these wrong things, partially out of ignorance, because they are (laughs) stupid, or behaving in a stupid way at least, or because they have no control, or a combination of both. When we then can truly see all these people involved in that little theater, as children, who are trying, but who are making mistakes, then we see the innocence of everybody, and then we can forgive. Forgiveness is always the end point to resolve any anger issue. Then when we come to fear, then what we have to contemplate is the neutrality of everything. In fear we are worried about the future, what is going to happen, some attachment, to which we really feel rightly and strongly and emotionally attached, threatens to be lost. And somehow, you know, we don't see a way out. So then, to contemplate on the neutrality of things means that we produce this kind of equanimity towards whatever happens, knowing that everything has two sides. Knowing that one attachment lost means there is room for another attachment to be made. One person goes, there is room for another person to come and that is also what is going to happen in life. If you are open to it, if you don't put your head in the sand and cry all the time, if you are open to new things, then new things will come. So, that is then bringing you to concentrate. Because fear is making you totally unconcentrated. Your mind is going in every direction. So if you can see, okay, whatever happens, there's always a good side to it also. So I'll just accept and I'll not worry about it. Then at least you can see what can be done. No? <laughs> then you have that peace, you have that clarity of mind. And then maybe you can just easily avoid what you were fearing would happen. But to first accept that whatever happens, it's fine, is needed for that. As long as you don't do that, you cannot get calmness and you cannot be concentrated. So, and then when it is about sadness although I don't think sadness is something which lingers for so long, but okay. If it is about sadness, then we have to contemplate the impermanence of things. Kali, whatever comes has to go. No life without death, no death without life. And life is the, you know, permanent thing that always moves on and we always move on through different lives and that whole story. So, to contemplate the impermanence of things in relationship to whatever it is, you know, that died or somehow got lost and so that from there you become compassionate. Meaning that your tears will no longer be only your tears. They will be everybody's tears. Because everybody lives in this impermanence and has a tendency to attach. And that way sometimes things are lost and we feel sad. And so then you become a kind person to other people and that brings also the peace. And then the sadness, it will go. Or it will transform into something a little more beautiful, like the tears that you have when you see a sad movie, you know. Because you see that whatever was lost, was only lost because a love was there. And that is the beauty of it. And as I said, yes, some new love, anyhow it will come. So, and then finally, when we talk about disgust, about depression, about really like looking very negatively and darkly at everything, including yourself, there the final contemplation is on the ego, and especially on the poor me ego. When you talk to a person who is depressed, it's really hard, yeah, I do that quite a lot, like, compared to a person who has a very, like, inflated ego, that's, that's a lot easier somehow to to handle. You know? Because even though that person may think, oh, I can do anything, then he also knows that can be doubted. No? Who can do anything? <laughs> Nobody can. There's always some limitations. So, that big me ego is always somehow relative. But the poor me-ego, in that way, it is different, right? When a person said, oh, I cannot do it, I'm totally useless, I'm a total loser, then that has a lot more power, in a way. How to go against it? Whatever you say, same answer will come. Same negativity will come, same disbelief will come. And then, for sure, what that person tells you is true. He makes it true. By thinking he cannot do anything, by thinking he is a loser, then he is a loser. So, that is more hard to deal with, but so when we deal with it ourselves, with our own little depression, that is what we have to think about. That self-fulfilling prophecy of the poor me-ego, but even more so that inexistence of the ego in itself. There is no Peter Martian, so why would Peter Martian, you know, believe he is a loser? Today a loser, tomorrow a winner, that's the game. We can be whatever we want. At least we can grow into whatever we want. It's all about, you know, do we have that confidence? Do we have to believe? No. So then that contemplation finally can bring us to this silence, no? and to the Self, the impersonal being, which has no properties, neither the properties of a winner, nor the properties of a loser, which is totally neutral in that respect. And if we can find that one, and stop attaching to any idea about who we are, like in terms of personality, in any kind of permanent way, when we see this personality that we have, as something totally flexible, changeable. The whole story about the neural patterns and, you know, the the way in which we can reprogram ourselves, change ourselves, become again different. Go from negative to positive. And from positive to negative, if we want, you know, it works both ways. So, if we see that and we move through that, and we come to the Self, then this depression, it also will go. It's a different kind of identification. Identification with pure being and this very flexible ego, this very flexible personality that we all have, actually. So, okay, that's quite a lot of work to do then with Dumavati and um, maybe just referring to the crows once more. The relationship to dark forces or, you know, a kind of magic, a kind of healing, that may also be needed. Because the subconscious does not stand on its own. The subconscious really is the sword. And so the soul is connected in the spiritual world and that connection can be very positive but that connection can also be negative. And especially if we be hanging around in negativity for a while, then, you know, the public relations in the spiritual world are also of similar quality. So then that has to be a little bit changed and then maybe you need some ritual, maybe you need some healer so that... In the subconscious, some things can be changed. You know, that reptile brain, for example, it is well known, it responds very well to ritual. You know? Even maybe some rituals that you devise yourself. You know? Putting some flowers in front of the picture of your biggest enemy. That is not just a mental thing, that is changing the way that your snake being inside of you looks at that person. And that way maybe a little bit of your anger, it will be less. And if you can do that every day for a while, that enmity really it can go. So, these are important things that you can easily do by yourself, working more with symbolism than with, you know, thinking. But then, yeah, as I said, also this working with the spiritual world, this cleaning of your energy field, this cleaning of whatever is connected to your soul, may also be very helpful in in dealing with these uh, things. So, yeah, I think that is about what I can say about the Mahavidya Dumavati, the mystery of emptiness. What's the use? Well. It has a lot of use, especially if you make use of it. If you just cry and suffer and go crazy, then, yeah, it seems pretty useless. But even then, on the level of the soul, things change. Some more detachment will come. And when that comes, then again change will come. And Dumavati you will see her behind in her chariot, disappearing on the horizon. And some new light, some new clarity, it will come. So when the going gets very tough, always remember... These things, they come, they go. So, keep the faith and seek the silence that anyhow you are almost forced to find because you don't know anymore. Well, if she is being depressed quite seriously, for a longer period of time, then sure, some negative energy will be around her. And that may affect you, so then that is your choice, no, to bear that or not. And um, there are two main things that you can watch for when you are visiting her to protect yourself a little better. And the first one is to keep a distance, physical distance, corona-wise, you know, one and a half meter, two meter distance. That helps. But the main thing is, it's not because she is depressed that you have to be depressed. That is the main thing. We talk a lot about empathy and about, you know, being able to feel the suffering of others and how beautiful that is. But at the same time, it is also making us more vulnerable for this kind of energy. So, yeah, she is depressed. You can feel compassion for her. You can be kind to her. You can feel love for her. But don't go into that same thinking that she has. Or feeling, you know, that is your best uh, protection actually. Um, oh, you guys have a minute. I need to bring my cat inside because she's been outside all the time and now she's crying. Just a second. You know? Yeah, she's gonna cry now a little because she doesn't know where I am since she's blind. You know? But, anyways. We talked uh, about depression also, one or two classes ago, I think, when I said, don't give them money. (laughs) In which I mean to say, when a person is depressed, they are also somehow giving up. And you can't blame them for that, but you also should not so much support it. Okay, if it's really your sister or somebody you feel responsible for, then, okay, maybe you need to support them <laughs> until they are true with it. But generally speaking, it should not be supported because it is an unnatural position. She's really quite uh, something. Eh? Just a second. To show her I am still here. Okay. Um Because if we too much support it and feel like, oh, the poor person, no, no, it's it's not going to work. Um, We have to try to push them to take some positive steps, whatever that may be. We have to push them to a little bit have more discipline. We have to push them, maybe, to um, stop using alcohol in the wrong way, or we have to, you know, push them to give me a video call. That would not be a bad idea, because I can help energy-wise, you know, through healing. So, we have to try to make them move forward at least one step, they are having so little self-confidence and so much negativity that they cannot really believe in anything like big, a long road of slowly, slowly climbing out of their situation, which is what they will have to do. But maybe you can make them believe in that first step. Maybe if you feel they are sufficiently, you know, following you, you might even help them to take that first step. If you want to actually give practical help, that is the main thing to help them make an appointment with a therapist i don't know no to to help them uh, start uh, cleaning their house, but don't clean the house for them no <laughs> it's uh, is one of those things now when people are depressed, the whole thing it collapses now so then maybe the house is very dirty and and that is itself no? another reason to be depressed so yeah, you know, you can try to give them that push, but not more. And um, maybe to say in terms of, of protection, uh, use mantra, you no. Know, uh, Kali mantra, Bhairav mantra, Gayatri mantra, they are all having a certain power against those kind of energies. So that uh, before you go there you use these mantras. When you are there you use that mantra whenever the person is talking, you can do mantra inside. You know? And then when you leave afterwards, and especially if then you feel a little bit of that energy is still hanging with you, you no? Know? a little bit of that feeling is still there, then you know you also use mantra. That is one of the best ways, you know. And and uh Yeah, don't wait till that feeling, like, becomes bigger, no? Nip it in the bud, no? Be quick. The minute you step out of the door, use it, no? These things are there. Um, But so, yeah, honestly, (laughs) in my experience, best thing is if she would contact me, and I can help her from distance quite well with depression. Uh It depends, I mean, I cannot promise, but uh, usually that works quite well. At least that they take those first steps, you no? Know? and then slowly, slowly they get out of it. Yeah, um, well, so Covid-wise, yeah. you have a good excuse yeah. no, to, to not hug and do the Namaste thing, because no? of Corona. Yeah. I don't know how it works in England, but here we have bubbles, you know, and outside of your bubble you're not allowed to hug. So if she's not part of your bubble, you're not allowed to hug. Should just tell his that in advance. Like, you know, you don't want to create any problem for your family. So no hugging. She's welcome, but no hugging. That definitely should be avoided with such a person. Anybody who's very much in a negative thing, we should avoid touching them. Sure. Yeah. Which means that all those people who are doing some kind of physical, physical therapy, you know, like massage therapy or acupuncture or anything, you know, they're heroes, no? <laughs> they touch all these people all the time. It's very tough. And very often then they need some healing themselves, no? And they need to very much, uh, you know, as heroes, be also like warriors who do a lot of disciplines and who have a meditation every day and who do other things to, you know, always keep their energy pure. Otherwise, themselves, they get into trouble. Some of my more permanent healing clients, they are like that. They know now and then they need a cleaning. Yeah. Yeah. No, but to have somebody who is professionally involved, let's say, at some stage it is needed, because, you know, you are her friend. And obviously, in that situation, she is not facing the truth. But how can she face the truth in front of you, who are her friend? That is always going to stop her to be really truthful. That's the advantage of being with somebody with whom you don't have a personal relationship, only like a professional relationship. And that's the mirror effect, you know, which is so essential in therapy. Whether he's a good therapist or not, that will always be there. Somebody will be there to, like, you know, show you yourself. And and uh, that uh, depression usually also means that that person has a real problem to face themselves. That's what depression means. You no longer want to face yourself, you no longer believe in yourself. So, to really see the truth about yourself, also, let's say, about your individual self, who you are and who you are not, what you can do, what you cannot do, all these things, must be clear. Because only then you can kind of see what's the way out, what are the steps to take. No, because the cleaning and all that, okay, uh, may be relevant, but this is just a little bit uh, relevant. No? The more important things are are very personal. Yeah, it's up to them, and that's the main issue. No, the main problem. You, if they are themselves like reaching out and trying to take the first step, then you can take the hand and pull a little. No, but if they are not. There's not much you can do until they themselves snap out of it somehow. And some it takes a month, some it takes a year, no? It's hard to say. And if they're too much, you try to push them or pull them out, then the moment you turn your back, boom, they are back there. (laughs) Because the fundament has not been touched, no? And maybe, you know, like taller, they need to become even more depressed to get out of it. That is possible. It must become uh, maybe at some point so unbearable they have no other way. They need to get out. It depends, I mean. But don't be too soft on her. Kind, yes. But whenever she is like saying things... Which you are quite clearly seeing are not right. You know? Like making plans which are totally unrealistic or or you know uh, blaming too much others or society or the parents or you know. Don't let that happen. That's the mirror effect. You know? Help her to see the truth. Because they are caught in a mind game, they don't see the truth themselves, so they need you or somebody to show.